Well, let's talk about keys to answered prayer. Uh, before we ever begin to pray, our Heavenly Father already knows what we need and has already worked to provide for those needs. In Isaiah 65, he says, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And when Jesus teaches his disciples and us about prayer, he says that even before we begin to pray, that our Father knows all about our situation. He says very plainly in Matthew 6, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. So based on both that Old Testament and New Testament passage, let me state a very obvious truth. The purpose of prayer is not for us to inform God of our needs. <laughs> he already knows. So then why do we pray? Prayer enables us to experience God more intimately. And some of you well, who don't know me very well might go ahead and be very honest and say, yeah, well, that sounds like a little bit of spiritual double talk, quite frankly, especially whenever I don't see God answering my prayers. But I'd ask you to look at a human example, though, to illustrate how true it is. The more a child experiences the love of a parent by the way the parent spends time with them and by the provision that the parent constantly provides for that child, the more the child feels love and becomes convinced of the parent's constant love. And oftentimes the parent will recognize the child has a need before the child is anywhere old enough to know that he has a need. You doubt that? I've got a phrase for you. College 529 plans. <laughs> Long before the child is ever going to become aware that, oh my gosh, I need a boatload of money to go off to college and get this degree and complete it, the parent has already begun to provide for that child. And so our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> who operates outside of <clears throat> excuse me, time and space, sees the future as clearly as the past or the present. He knows exactly what you're going to face today, tomorrow. He knows what I'm going to face next week, next year. What he desires is for all of us to experience him as he's providing for us. So this morning I want to look at four truths about prayer, Jesus' teaching about prayer, that I think will strengthen your prayer life as it strengthens mine. The first one is that God answers his children, and therefore they should come to him in prayer, and they should persist in prayer. When you look at a passage like Matthew 7, where he says, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, in, in that same gospel, just a few verses earlier, Jesus, in uh, response to his disciples saying, teach us to pray, having watched his example of prayer, and they say, teach us how to pray. He gives them a model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And now he's assuring them that God welcomes you coming to him in prayer. In fact, he's urging you to come and pray continually, persistently. That's a little clearer in the Greek. Marty referred to this a few weeks ago when he made reference to this verse that it literally is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. 
And so he asks us not only to come to him in prayer, but then to persist in prayer. One of the main things that I thought about as I was prepping this sermon is that Jesus never talks about unanswered prayer. Never. Not a word. He fully expects that we're going to learn from him and his example, that we're going to read his word and learn how to pray and pray properly. And then we should expect for our prayers to be answered. So the first teaching, the first lesson of Jesus here is that you need to go to him in prayer and then you need to persist until he answers. I remember I started my ministry life working for a missionary organization now called Crew. Back in the day, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And they deliberately kept it at a little pay scale that was literally right around the poverty level. They didn't want you going in the ministry trying to get rich. And they made sure that with their pay scale that you weren't going to get rich. And for whatever reason, my average donor and my financial base was about $5 a month. And in the wisdom of God, I would get off to my assignment and most of the folks that pledged $5 a month for my ministry would choose not to send it. Did this for years. There was a period of time where I was living on less than $10 a day. Now, I remember at one point getting very honest with God that, you know, I don't have any money. I'm driving a Pinto that's wrecked on three sides but hasn't caught on fire yet. <laughs> and, and I'm lonely here. I had a campus director uh, who didn't uh, want you to be hanging out with any students. I understand that, but it was like, how about grad students? I mean, you know, uh, can I at least date a grad student? And he's like, mm, I'm not real big on that. Uh, so I'm, I'm lonely here. I don't have any money. I'm lonely. And whenever I would talk to pastors there in the area, they would say things to me that now I look back and it's like, I don't want to ever say something like that to somebody in the ministry because they would say, how long are you going to do this before you get into the real ministry? And I would say to myself, well, I just witnessed to 15 non-Christians this week alone and I'm supporting my local church. What makes me not in the real ministry and you in the real Ministry. So I was having a pretty honest conversation with God that, you know, I, I don't like the way this is going. I would like for some things to change. And nothing really changed uh, for a few years. But I look back now, been married to a wonderful Laura Cronauer coffee for 42 years. I have I have loads of money. Y'all are very generous with me after a 30-year uh, career in the military, uh, which paid me well also. Some of y'all call me Dr. Coffee, even though I tell you I really would rather you just call me Michael. And so I realized God heard that prayer. He heard all the prayers. I kept praying when it seemed like nothing was happening. And because I persisted, he answered. First lesson. Go to him in prayer and persist. Lesson number two, Jesus glorifies the Father by answering prayers that are offered in his name. In John 14, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
So let's pause for a moment and look at that phrase, in my name. What does that mean? I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It's not a magical formula that you tack on at the end of the prayer as a benediction. In fact, if you look at all the prayers recorded in Scripture, you never see anybody closing a prayer with the phrase, in the name of Jesus, amen. It's not in there. Most of the prayers in Scriptures, the person just quits talking. That's how you know they quit praying. (laughs) Or they might end it with a simple amen. Now, you can keep putting that on there if you want to, but what I'm trying to tell you is rather than a sort of magical or even superstitious phrase put on there to make sure your prayer is heard by God, what God is saying is that when you ask in my name, what you're doing is I'm praying as a believer, as his representative here on earth. And so I'm expecting my prayer to be answered, not because of the way I prayed or the phrase I put on. It's because I'm his representative doing his will. I'm praying according to his will. John expands on that in one of his epistles in 1 John 5, 14, 15. He says, if we ask anything according to his will, we have what we asked of him. So when Christ says, ask in my name, he means you're asking according to his will. It means praying a prayer that aligns with Jesus' character and his purposes. It means praying a prayer that you could very well imagine hearing Jesus pray if he was praying it. Why? Here I told you in verse 13, Jesus' goal for answering prayers is to bring glory to his Father. Now once again, a simple illustration. Back when my three children were small, I wanted to make sure that I had time with them. As a soldier for 30 years, I would oftentimes deploy and be gone out of their lives for a long period of time and stuff. So I would do these things where once a month, each kid would... uh, I should say one a month so that in three months I've gone with all three kids. I would spend, you know, a good bit of a Saturday or something with them. The kids referred to that as dates with dad. And the rules are pretty simple that, you know, as long as you don't ask for something ridiculous, you can make up what the day is. You can ask me for whatever you want to do. And so it wasn't unusual for when it would be one of my boys uh, be like, hey, can we have pancakes for breakfast? Yes, you know, I can make pancakes. Can you drip the pancake batter in there so it looks like Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes. Uh, uh, Can we go feed the ducks today? Yes. We'll get some bread and we'll do that. And after we've done that, can we uh, go by the batting cage and maybe hit a few? Yes, we can do that. Can Tommy come with us? No. And you could see the shock when they got the no that, man, I was on a roll. What what happened here? Well, that wasn't according to my will. My will is that we're spending time together. You can ask for Tommy to come uh, to become an old man. The answer will be no. It's not according to my will. This is what we're doing here during this time that we have together. So he wants you to come to him in prayer. He wants you to persist in prayer. He wants you to ask in his name and according to his will. Third truth, God hears and he answers his obedient children. John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The reason we get answers to prayer 
is because we've become children of God. It's on the basis of our faith as Christ as Savior, if you remain in me. And our growing maturity in the Lord, our conformity to Christ and to his teaching. And my words remain in you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So that over time as I pray, you would hope that those words and his example would have an influence on the way I pray. That it would influence, it would condition, it would control my mind so that my prayer requests confirm, conform more and more with the Father's will. I want you to think about Christ praying in the Garden of Gethsemane because people talk about, well, there is an example of Christ himself getting an unanswered prayer. I, I wouldn't quite say it like that. Yes, when he prayed three times, let this cup pass from me. If you read the account of Matthew, he always immediately puts on, but not my will, but yours. So yes, will this cup pass from me whenever I'm praying for that? No. That's not the Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. Okay, here come the guys with the torches, the weapons, and the ropes. That's my will. You're going to die a horrible death for the sins of the world that we might have a Savior. So, in one sense, I've started adding a whole lot more, not my will, but your will be done to everything that I pray about. Because... That's in accordance to it. When you think about the Lord's Prayer, that model prayer he gave, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to now show you how this gets a little messed up, though, because of the deceitfulness of Satan and the spiritual attack that you're under. So he would love for your mind to drift or drone. Try to hang with me here on just a few verses I'm going to go over, okay? Let's look at 1 John 3, 18 through 22. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. How? Well, you're not just giving lip service. You're giving real action to your love and your speech. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, because we are sinful people, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands. And do what's pleasing to him. Listen, the devil, who in the scriptures is referred to as the accuser of the brethren, will relentlessly tell you about your sin and your constant failures to obey Christ's commands. In verse 18, John is saying, you can tell if you're obeying God's will by how you treat others. Are your loving deeds and actions and words? things that are helping others. So, falls verse 19. Just stay in there if you need to go back so they can see verse 18, 9. So, it falls in verse 19 that you can know that you're doing His will. We are of the truth, it says. And that should, it says, set your heart at ease and you'd be able to resist the lies of Satan whispering to you all the time. Verse 20 of our heart you know, if we keep listening to the lies 
of the devil. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. Let me ask you this. Does God know that I do sinful things every day? Does he know that I commit even more sins of omission possibly than commission? Does he know that I'm made of clay, not just feet of clay? Clay mind, clay heart, clay will. Verse 20 says he does. He knows all things. So when the devil accuses you, I want you to recognize the difference between the devil and the Holy Spirit when he convicts you. When the devil accuses you, it's always vague and it's always relentless. You are such a loser. You always mess up. You've completely destroyed your witness with that person. You can never recover from this. On and on and on it goes. In stark contrast, the Holy Spirit is always pinpoint laser accurate about what he's convicting you about. You were rude and hurtful to your wife. You stole from the office today. In fact, you stole from the refrigerator because it looked better than your lunch. That <laughs> was not yours to take, but it's very specific. You lied when you said that, or you injured this person with the gossip that you just spread. See the point? It's very specific every time the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin. Why? Because he wants you to confess it and get it right. And then your heart, as the passage we just said, doesn't have to condemn you. I mean, God already knows that I'm a hot mess of sin. There is no surprise in that to him. He died to save me from my sin. He knows that I need a continual cleansing of a loving spirit. That's the wonderful news that starts there in verse 21. And so, once a condemning heart has been silenced by God, we're resting on God's knowledge of all things, especially that he knows that I'm just feet of clay, we can have a new confidence. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive anything we ask. Why? Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him, which includes keeping short accounts and quickly confessing my sins when he convicts me of sin. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. He's walking with some uh, parishioners and leaders in the church. They were about to cross the street. They started stepping across. Spurgeon just stands still. They, they kind of turn around and go back. They stand there. He doesn't say anything for a moment. And so finally they're like, what's going on? What's, what's happening here? And he said, I became aware that a shadow had fallen between God and myself. And I wanted to confess it to have it removed. And they went walking across the street. Short accounts equal power in prayer. So he wants you to come to him. He wants you to persist in prayer. He wants you to ask according to his will and in his name. He wants you to keep short accounts so that you can have confidence of receiving what you're asking him for. Fourth truth, if we ask according to God's will, he hears us. And if he hears us, then we have what we've asked for. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. All Christians should have an assurance or a confidence in approaching God in prayer because of Christ's work for them. 
requests made in accordance with his will are heard and the believer can be certain of receiving answers to them. We have the scriptures that he's given to us. He's protected through the centuries. He's given down so that you can read your Bible and better understand what God's will is so that you can pray more correctly. Let me give some examples of prayers that will be answered. You can pray for maturity, not only for yourself, but for those you love or for people in this church. Maturity in Christ. You can pray for his kingdom to come. You can pray for the church and its leaders to live holy lives. You can pray for deliverance from the evil one. You can pray for authority, those in authority, to rule over us properly. You can tell people who are sick to follow what it says in James. Go to the elders, ask them to anoint you with oil, and pray for you to be healed. You can pray for those who don't know Christ and his forgiveness to have their spiritual blindness lifted. You can pray for Christians to think more highly of others than they do themselves. You can pray for these things. They're clear in scripture that these are the things that are pleasing to the Lord. These are things he tells you you should do. These are action steps you should take. And so pray and persist and pray and keep praying. I had a father-in-law that I must have talked to my father-in-law as well as uh, the other believers in my wife's family for a number of years. And um, I remember he would always say, don't worry about me whenever I die. I see it as a great adventure. No, Cliff, it's not going to be a great adventure. Wrong answer. <laughs> you, you need to accept the forgiveness of Christ, which he did around age 95 before he passed. Anita Homburg back here could stand up and give a resounding testimony of her brother that she prayed for for so long and persisted in prayer and saw it happen. But let's talk about the times when it seems like God does not answer our prayer. Do the scriptures teach that things can hinder our prayer? Yes, they do. What does it say? Well, I'll give you a few of them. It says that if you're ignoring God's word, Proverbs 28, 9, and if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination or detestable. For a non-Christian, sometimes whenever people are not believers, but they're suddenly in some sort of life jam, they'll pray and then it's like, ah, that didn't do any good. God didn't answer. Well, because you've ignored his word. The first thing for you to pray is to be forgiven and become a child of God. Not surprised he doesn't answer your prayer until you get the cart and the horse in the right place on that. For you as a Christian, especially as you're growing and maturing, remember your role now that you've been saved, now that you've been forgiven. You're a bondservant of Christ. You should be obeying him and his desires, not yours. You live to serve the master now. The rejection of God's authority in the revealed word it has consequences, and it can be as simple as having your prayers hindered. Number two, loving sin. Psalm 66 points out another issue that can cause restriction to your prayers. If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Whenever we're praying, if we're unrepentantly holding on to an area of sin in our life that the Lord has repeatedly told us it's wrong. He wants us to trust him to let go of that and have victory over that, but we won't do it. Don't be surprised if your prayer life is hindered. 
This isn't talking about like the example I just gave with Spurgeon, that if you're convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin and you do the right thing and confess it, he tells you to do that. If you are convicted of sin, you confess it. He's great to cleanse you. Relationship is restored. Move out, draw fire. This is the sort of thing that if I'm willfully harboring sin and I refuse to repent, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage, why would you expect that he's going to hear your prayers? If you're using substance abuse on your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, much to the alarm and dismay of a spouse or your kids, if you're allowing your greed to stop you from supporting the church or the Lord's missions, if you're acting one way or work but act a very different way around your family or here at church first peter says if you're a husband and you don't honor your wife and love her as christ loved the church your prayers will be hindered on and on there are examples in scripture that yes you can hinder your prayer life but it's not a surprise i can guarantee the holy spirit's been working on you about these areas you are just cherishing sin and hanging on to it number three Desiring wrongly. James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He makes two points here. Number one, you're not even asking. So how are you going to have your prayers answered if you don't even ask? He knows your need. Why don't you go to him and ask? Number two, speaks to our motivation. I sometimes, whenever I'm praying something, will catch myself and think, would I see Jesus actually kneeling and praying for what I'm praying for right now? If I'm his representative, if I'm praying in his name, if I'm praying according to his will. Number four, same with the book of James, doubting God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He knows that we don't have all wisdom. You need wisdom, ask him for it. It'll be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect that they will receive anything from the Lord. I struggle with this verse because I always doubt. I am, I am a basket of doubts. But I am like the man who was asking Jesus if he could help his son, please do by healing him. And Jesus kind of curtly said, if... <laughs> yeah. Anything's possible with God. Man drops to his knees and says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That's me. That is me praying all the time to God. Doubt is the inevitable result of a weak faith muscle. 11, Hebrews 11.6 says it very plainly. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, dear saints, in over 46 years of full-time ministry, I guess that dates me a little bit, doesn't it? Over 46 years of full-time ministry, what I've discovered is that when people talk to me about God doesn't answer prayer, it usually has to do with one of about four areas. First one, a lost love. You found somebody you wanted to get married to. Somehow it didn't work out. They leave. You're praying, you're fasting, you're asking God to bring them back and all. Most of us don't get married to the first person that we think we're going to get married to. Most of us would say, thank you, God, for that. 
that, <laughs> that that didn't happen. God allows sometimes people who are married and a spouse will walk away, divorce. The good Lord likes free will. It's been in existence since the garden. And he made a lot of it. And free will has wreaked a lot of havoc throughout the centuries. He said it very plainly when they were asking Jesus about divorce. That hardness of your hearts, not what God wanted. That's why Moses let you do that. But it's not what God wanted. So a lost love. Number two, loss of health of a friend or a family member, even more so sometimes. Loss of somebody you care for and they seem to die and not take advantage of Christ's free salvation. We're all under the curse of sin. Nobody's going to get out alive unless the Lord returns. I love the George Bernard Shaw quote. The statistics on death are impressive. One out of one dies. Nobody gets out. But I will tell you this. I just gave you the example of my father-in-law, of Anita's brother. Are you persisting in prayer? Jesus told a parable one time, and before you get to the parable, he tells you why he's telling the parable. He's telling it so that men will know they should always pray and not faint. Persevere in the prayer. Number three, loss of finances or a career. You know, Joseph uh, suffered what I would call a major career setback. He went from a well-dressed favorite son to a slave to a prisoner. You think he prayed all that time? I know he did. Only to be heard by God and in God's perfect timing to be taken from the lowest rung of society, a convict, and raised to be the second most powerful man in the world in a single day. Perhaps you've had a loss of finances, loss of a career you loved. Take it to the Lord in prayer. See what it is he plans. Final one I'll talk about, rebellious children walking away from the Lord. You took them to church, you shared with them, you read the Bible at night around the dining room table, you taught them to pray in their beds at night. As they became college students or whatever, they walk away. Since the deja vu of what I've already said about a couple of these other things, the Lord likes free will. He made a lot of it. And you may not see it in this life. I have People I pray for, I don't know that I'll live to see it, but I trust that God is going to answer my prayer, that he's going to do whatever it takes. I don't put any restrictions on God. In fact, I tell him, take the gloves off. Do whatever it takes to bring this person to faith in you. Do whatever it takes to bring this person back to faith in you as the Savior of the soul. I will tell you this, that if you had a child came to like Tammy's vacation Bible school. They accepted Christ. Pastor Matt or somebody baptized them. Their eternal security is safe if they became a Christian. It has nothing to do with their later faithlessness in life. It has everything to do with the faithfulness of Christ as Savior. So keep praying. What's the Christian's response? As he taught us. Pray always. Don't faint. Keep on asking. 
Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. God hears and he answers. Maybe not in our timeline or our way. Probably not the way we think he should. But as I said, Jesus doesn't even talk about unanswered prayer. He talks about do it right and receive. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your perfect word and your teaching on prayer. May we grow strong as prayer warriors for you, doing your work and being your representatives here upon this earth. Amen.